Hi, I'm Alistair. And I'm Andrew. And I'm Hayley. And we're here to bring you Scene From Above Snapshots. These are quickfire episodes with a new series co-host. So let's crack on and discuss today's topic. Let's have a look at today's topic. What is so great about Sentinel-3? Well, Sentinel-3 is kind of, I guess, my my pet mission, if you like, my favourite. I guess my, my little baby, I can think of it in that way, if that's a bit weird, but that's kind of what it is. I work predominantly around this mission. So for me, the special thing about Sentinel-3, well, we kind of call it colloquially, I guess, the blue Sentinel. You know, it's it's the mission for the oceans in Copernicus, really. And, you know, that's my background. I'm a marine scientist. So for me, I'm fond of it for that reason. What's cool is that it's this multi kind of sensor mission. So it's not just looking at one ocean parameter. It has three different sets of instruments, uh, an ocean color set, um, a sea surface temperature a set of sensors and uh, altimetry as well. So it's measuring the height of the oceans. So it allows us to look all at the same time at these different parameters, which is great because the ocean is just really complex interdisciplinary thing where you need to be able to look at it from a physical perspective and a biological perspective. So does Sentinel-3 collect over the open ocean as well? Because I've seen loads of really cool images of coastal waters and algal blooms and things like that, but I've not seen so much out in the open ocean. Yeah, it does. It it actually is a complete global coverage, which is kind of the the only one that really does that from an optical perspective. I mean, Sentinel-2 is an optical imager as well. It looks at the coastal ocean in quite high resolution. It's not really adapted for the ocean the same way that Sentinel-3 is. And Sentinel-3, yeah, covers the entire ocean. So you can look at the, you know, the middle of the Atlantic, the middle of the Pacific with it as well, uh, which is great, you know, like for cre- for creating things like our long-term time series of ocean temperatures, of ocean biological parameters, that we need that full global coverage to understand how the oceans are working. Andrew, have you used Sentinel-3 at all? Yeah, I wrote a blog post a couple of years back And I'd been talking to a couple of colleagues at a time when I was working for a a company and I said, what's this about Sentinel-3 then? We spent all our time looking at Sentinel-2 and everyone was getting very excited about Sentinel-1. And I said, well, you know, tell me something, you know, why do I need to know about Sentinel-3? And most people just went, "Uh, you know, what is it? And so I looked into it and quite a lot of people at the time were trying to put these quite large composite images over large continental land masses. And I realised that Sentinel-3, the land imaging um, part of it so it's there's different components right yeah and I realized that I could download a tile that pretty much covered most of Australia for example not yeah. not all of it but, but quite a lot and instead of sort of stitching together hundreds of different uh, Landsat tiles I, I sort of had this idea when I went for a run and I thought oh you know I've got snap I've got access to the Copernicus Sci-Hub let's get this data down and it really you know got a lot of a lot of traction and a lot of people talking about it and the GIS Lounge wrote a post about it and I think there's something about it that, that doesn't quite get the publicity that the Sentinel-1s and Sentinel-2s of this world do. I think Sentinel-3 has got one of the best viewers, which is this s3view.oceanlab.com. I don't know if you guys have come across that. I think we've talked about it on the podcast before. It's such a great tool. As you probably both know, I have this ongoing slight problem with everyone just chucking out a data portal every now and then and saying, hey, look, that, there's, there's, there's our data. So... I I found this really instructive. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, unless we are just being a little bit blinkered. But when you say you don't use Sentinel-3 that much, I mean, you're right. On the podcast, we've barely mentioned it, really. I mean, in passing now and again, but it's always Sentinel-1, Sentinel-2. Whereas this sounds like it could be a really cool sort of continuation or or feed into some of the Modis products. And I don't know if that's right, but... No, it's true. So Sentinel-3 in particular kind of builds on... 
I think you've hit the you have really hit the nail on the head there saying that it's kind of this it's a little bit of a forgotten sensor in some ways yeah. and I think this is this is I think in part because of its connection to the ocean like I love the ocean obviously I care a lot about it but it's something that's really distant from a lot of our lives you know if you live by the coast maybe you have some feeling for the interaction with like the coastal zone you know you surf etc but the ocean is this huge thing that covers most of the planet and it's far away for most of us so we don't have the same like visceral connection as we do to things like fires on land or the weather or farming that we drive past you know every day on our way to work those kind of things what you were saying about modus is really interesting so for me the cool thing about sentinel 3 in particular and from my particular research background so i come from this uh, working with ocean color there's an ocean color sensor on the modus satellites and it for a long time we were really worried that modus was going to like keel over and die because it was like the last standing ocean color sensor you know we had this horrible period where there was just that one flying and if you need a long time series to look at things like climate change you know a gap in your record is really bad and then sentinel threes come along and well, sentinel three a and sentinel three b and we've got these two the same sensor on it called ulchi the ocean land color imager which is the one you know you're talking about andrew that images these big wide swaths yeah, of the yeah. whole land and the entire open ocean as well that sensor is really important for the ocean color archive it has like quite a high spatial resolution it's 300 meters which is pretty mm. good for like an ocean sensor yeah. you know oceans are dark we have to have these fairly big pixels to get the signal to noise that we need to measure the ocean properly but 300 meters is still pretty good it allows you to you know look at some quite detailed uh, features you know in the what we call the mesoscale the things like blooms you know around islands and that kind of thing and it has specific spectral bands, which are really, really useful. Like it's got this one in like the 710 nanometer range, which is really great for looking at things like red tides. That's what I did my PhD on. So for me, it's got quite a few of these really special features that make it super useful. And I'd like to see it used more. You two have used this and I haven't, but is there any special processing that is needed in order to get the imagery, I don't know, say up in QGIS or anything like that? Or is it fairly easy to use, fairly intuitive, a bit like Sentinel-2? Yeah, I think so. Fairly easy. I mean, it's um, it's in NetCDF. So, you know, it's that kind of format. So if you're used to using NetCDF, which for me is like for the ocean community, NetCDF is like fairly, fairly good. You can easily export that then from Snap into things like a GeoGIF yeah. or whatever yeah. to make it like right. much easier. But you, you still have all the geolocation and everything. So, yeah, it's fairly it's fairly simple to work with. And yeah, it's a definitely. lot smaller than Sentinel-2, so it's easier in that sense. You know, you don't fill your laptop downloading two or three images. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, it, for sure, Snap is the way to go. I mean, QGS as we know, isn't necessarily the, the friend of NetCDF. Um, <laughs> the problem is, and maybe you, you could see it like this, Alistair, that you've got to have a reason to go and download it. If you're just doing uh, something that you probably do with Sentinel-2, you probably won't unless you're looking to, oh, can, am I going to say this, create a base map? The other thing is, is Sentinel-3 available as a cloud-based GeoTIFF? Yeah, I'm, I'm not, not sure. sure. It's in like the Sentinel Hub and things like that, yeah. and it's in all the DSs. But yeah, it's, it's it varies as to exactly how it's available in different places. So because it's it's probably yeah. not so relevant today, but you know, as we go forward, we shouldn't be downloading this stuff. Just stream it in, and you know, yeah. start using it. And this is sort of like the the ultimate problem with our yeah. with our overload of data. Modus is still up and working, yeah. It is yeah. for now, yeah. yeah. It's like 20 years old this year, I think. It's quite crazy how old it is. When you were saying about, oh, worried if Modus is going to go down, you, you reminded me of um, being in these pitches to new applications for ESA where, where they're saying your idea is totally replying on one satellite. What happens if that goes down? It's like the perennial question that always gets asked. Happened so, during my PhD. Yeah. I was working <laughs> on MVSAT when it stopped, uh, middle of 2012, in the middle of a field campaign. Oh, the data stopped. Oh, that's great. That uh, puts a bit of a... 
downer on our validation efforts. So, so I think yeah. Sentinel three may have the answer to a lot of those sort of backup kind of questions yeah, yeah. And, yeah i think and also as a whole is kind of like that you know this idea of yeah. having the multiple i mean we're already talking about the c and the d satellites being launched and when they're going to go and what mm. happens with the other ones when they're still in orbit and still functioning which you know most of them do exceed their operational lifetime now so it does open up more that you can do with it you can rely on it for a, for a service you can rely on it for a climate uh, data record and that kind of thing then because we've got a and b haven't we 3A and 3B, yeah. So this sort of twinning yeah. has, has worked quite well, I think, in its nomenclature. The last thing I wanted to say was, is there something in Sentinel-3 about fires? And Yes, there is. And it's actually, it's really cool because this is something that's just happened. So Sentinel-3, yes, we were talking before, like, okay, it's the ocean. I talk, think, talk about it as the ocean mission. Mm. It's also a land mission. UMETS, we take care of the marines. We operate the satellite, we take care of the marine data. And ESA uh, take care of the land data. But um, there's also atmospheric products that you can derive out of Sentinel 3 as well. And we're doing that at UMETSAT and with some uh, work at ESA as well. So we've just released, I think it was oof, a couple of weeks ago now, this fire radiative power product, uh, which is really, really useful for looking at things like the wildfires that happened in Australia. You can also detect like gas flares and things with it, hotspots, all these different things. You can um, derive different atmospheric products. We, we call the fire stuff atmospheric as well, but there's also work going on about atmospheric composition and how you derive that from Sentinel-3 too. Excellent. So we're sort of, you know, summarising that Sentinel-3 is much more workhorse-like. It is a workhorse. Yeah. That's a really good, that's, that's a really good phrase of using, uh, to use for it. And it's, but it's very, it's also very like um, quantitative in the work it does. Yeah. You know, it's, it's very much about kind of the precision measurements and things. It's less maybe about like the images and looking at, you know, kind of, features and things like that but it's, it's highly quantitative as a mission that's really cool yeah i hadn't realized there was so much to sentinel 3 and i guess that's why it's great yes i'm going to end with that cheesy line <laughs> <laughs> cool brilliant music is Cracker Jacks and Tin Whistles by Ocean Heights and is licensed under the Attribution Non-Commercial Creative Commons license. Available on freemusicarchive.org.